let's begin in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Now we'll go down to the catechism memory work. What is the seventh commandment? What does this mean? We should fear and love God so that we do not take away our neighbor's money or possessions or get them in any dishonest way, but help him to improve and protect his possessions and income. And we'll read the Bible memory work together. The wicked borrows but does not pay back, but the righteous is generous and gives. Psalm 37:21. Let us pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. And uh, Luther's evening prayer. I thank you, my heavenly Father, through Jesus Christ, your dear Son, that you have graciously kept me this day, and I pray that you would forgive me all my sins where I have done wrong, and graciously keep me this night. For into your hands I commend myself, my body and soul, and all things. Let your holy angel be with me, that the evil foe may have no power over me. Amen. The Almighty and merciful Lord, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, bless us and keep us. Amen. All right. So um, we're going to be starting this What We Believe class. And uh, first of all, just uh, by way of housekeeping, uh, as far as my teaching style goes and, and how the class runs and everything, I don't know what everyone's used to as far as Bible class goes, but um, I'm very relaxed. So if anyone has any questions at any time, just, uh, you know, raise your hand, interrupt me, uh, shout out a question, whatever. It's, it's all fine. I don't mind being interrupted. Um, if I'm moving too fast, then tell me. If I'm moving too slow, then, then tell me. Um, I appreciate the feedback. Um, you know, different, different people move at different paces. So um, that is all completely fine. Uh, we want to take our time and, and make sure that everyone gets as much out of the class as they can. Um, also, for what you may need for the class, we'll start with at-home prayer every week. Uh, there's a stack of Bibles up here. If anyone needs a Bible, you can also feel free, of course, to bring your own Bibles. Um, and there might be some, I think, in the pews, I'm told, um, in the chairs underneath. Um, so we'll, we'll obviously be referencing the Bible. We are Lutherans, so we believe in Scripture alone. There's also some uh, paperback catechisms up here. Uh, so the catechism is going to be kind of our main textbook, more or less, for the class. I'll talk about that more. 
in just a second. So there's some paperback ones there. And then also, if uh, you just want to pull out the Lutheran service book in front of you, the small catechism is on page 321 as well. So you can use that as well. That's a probably a little bit larger print than the small ones. Um, and as I'll just mention here in a minute, it also includes all nine chief parts, not just the the six. So um, those are the two kind of things we'll be using is the, mainly the Bible and the catechism. Okay, so as far as the catechism goes um, and the structure of the class, the catechism is organized by in nine parts. Um, it starts with the Ten Commandments, then goes on to the Creed, and then the Lord's Prayer, and then Baptism, Confession, and Absolution, and the Lord's Supper. Um, those are the quote-unquote six chief parts. Um, I do not know where this phrase came from, the six chief parts. Uh, but in addition to that, there are three parts to the Catechism that not a lot of people uh, think about or, or remember that are there all the time. Uh, and that is the uh, Table of Duties. Um, just going to abbreviate TOD, Table of Duties, which is a collection of Bible verses that Luther put together that goes through the different vocations a Christian can have. So father, mother, uh, son, daughter, children, um, pastor, lay people, uh, worker, employer, all sorts of different callings that people can have in life, and what Bible verses you might want to reference if you fall into one of those categories, which, uh, of course, all of us fall into multiple of those categories. Um, then there's the daily prayers, where uh, Luther gives some daily prayers that can be prayed, uh, one in the morning and one in the evening, which we saw in the at-home prayer, as well as uh, prayers before mealtimes and uh, also a prayer after mealtime. So did anyone grow up returning thanks after they ate? No? So that, that's an old tradition that you don't just pray before you eat, but you also pray after you eat. So you give thanks and then you return thanks after you eat. Um, that's a wholesome thing to do. Uh, we never do it at my house because most of the time the kids are running off to play right after dinner, but... Um, <laughs> You know how it is, but it is there in the catechism, actually. Um, and then finally, the uh, Christian questions and answers are in the catechism as well. So um, these are the, I guess you could call them the three minor parts of the catechism, the table of duties, daily prayers, and Christian questions and their answers. The Christian questions and their answers is a list of about 20 questions that is used to prepare to go to communion. Um, and it is actually a very, uh, it's, Luther designed it when he wrote it to be read by the Christian on Saturday night to prepare to go to church the next day. And it's a, it's a very beautiful um, kind of way to prepare yourself to go to communion. It asks kind of basic uh, questions at first, like, do you believe you're a sinner? How do you know this? Uh, what are you going to do about your sin and Jesus died for me and so on and so forth um, and ask about the Lord's Supper. And uh, at the end, Luther kind of gets comedic. He says, if you don't realize the need for this, then you should touch your skin and see if you're still in the world. Basically, pinch yourself, see if you're still alive. 
Um, and if you are, you should look at what the Bible says about being alive in this world and the dangers that come along with that and your need for uh, forgiveness in the Lord's Supper. So um, kind of an interesting little document there as well. The reason I bring this up is because um, I have come to personally reject this idea of six chief parts and three minor parts. Um, and I just like to call these the original six chief parts that, that everyone knows about, Ten Commandments, Lord's Prayer, Creed, Baptism, Confession, and Lord's Supper, plus the Table of Duties, Daily Prayers, and Christian Questions and an Answers. I just call that the nine chief parts. And the reason I do that is because whenever I've gone through um, adult catechism classes before, I have found that you can get through the six chief parts pretty easy, and people generally don't have too many questions. There might be, you know, certain questions here and there. But um, a lot of the things that people have questions about are not like purely doctrinal questions. They're not purely like academic, uh, what do we believe on paper questions? A lot of the questions people have is like, okay, how do I live this out? Uh, what does it look like to incorporate these things into my life? And that's exactly what these three things are trying to get at, right? So in the 10 commandments, we learn God's will for our lives in his holy law. And then the table of duties teaches us, oh, we actually apply those 10 commandments in our vocations when we go out and live in the world as fathers and mothers and sons and daughters and employees and employers and lay people and, and pastors. In the Lord's Prayer, we learn the theology of prayer as Jesus taught us. But then in the daily prayers, we learn, oh, we actually incorporate devotion and prayer into our everyday life. In the Lord's Supper section in the, in the catechism, we learn all about the theology of the Lord's Supper, how it's Jesus' real body and blood. But then in the Christian questions and answers, oh, I actually should go and receive that on Sunday, right? I should go and, and be a part of the church and uh, that the creed talks about. And I should go and receive the forgiveness of sins that the creed talks about. Right, So uh, with all of that said, the reason I'm introducing this is that I want this What We Believe class to be practical for you. I, I want it to not just be what do we believe on paper, right? Um, but I want you to walk away having a sense of what it means to not just uh, be able to sign off on being a Lutheran, but to live like a Lutheran. If that makes sense, is that does that track? That makes sense. Okay. Um, and so for that reason, um, I'm kind of going to do the catechism, including these things, um, but also a little bit out of order. The reason I'm going to do it a little bit out of order is because when Luther wrote the catechism, he wrote the catechism in a context that was uh, predominantly Roman Catholic plus a lot of new Lutherans. So the history of the catechism, really briefly, is that in 1528, uh, after the Reformation had kind of taken off and there were all these new Lutheran churches uh, that had basically converted over from Roman Catholic churches, Luther went uh, around Saxony and went on what was called the Saxon Visitation. 
and he went to these different churches and he was talking to the pastors and talking to the lay people and he found out that all anyone knew about was basically like the culture of the Roman Catholic Church. They knew about private masses. They knew about indulgences. They didn't know the creed. They didn't know the Lord's Prayer. They didn't know about the Lord's Supper. Um, they didn't know the basics of the faith. They didn't know what we believe. And so Luther wrote this catechism, uh, the small catechism, and then also the large catechism as kind of a teaching manual for the small catechism uh, so that fathers could take the catechism home to their families and teach them and that pastors could take the catechism to their congregations and teach them. And he did that in a time when even though um, people st struggled to know a lot, they were still all Christian, right? They were, um, they all came from a either a Roman Catholic or a newly Lutheran background, and they all agreed on a lot of basic things, right? They all agreed that the Bible was the Word of God. They all agreed that God created the heavens and the earth. Um, and they all agreed on a number of various cultural factors. In my experience doing adult catechesis, um, people in modern America come from a lot of different backgrounds, not just a Roman Catholic background in the 1580s. And so uh, for that reason, I think when Luther writes the catechism in the order he writes it in, starting with the Ten Commandments, he's assuming a certain worldview. And um, that's just something I simply don't assume anymore in, in teaching. So for that reason, uh, we're going to start today, uh, with all the introduction out of the way, with the article of creation. And the reason we start here is because this is where the Bible starts in, in Genesis 1, that God created the heavens and the earth. And this is really our foundation for everything that we, what we believe, uh, that if God is not the creator of the heavens and the earth, then, then nothing else really matters at the end of the day, right? Uh, if he's not the creator of the heavens and the earth, then what he says in his word doesn't really matter, right? Uh, so instead of starting with the human condition and sin, I find it much more helpful to talk about creation, to talk about God as, as creator. I think this is... Um, um, in some ways, a, a more fundamental issue. Um, and there's a reason that the Bible starts where it starts uh, for the, um, for all, basically for all humans, right? So uh, that's what we're going to talk about today. Any questions so far? If there's no questions um, when I ask that, I'm still going to take the time to drink my coffee. So <laughs> hope that's okay. The people at Beautiful Savior have been trained to ask questions so I can drink my coffee whenever I, whenever I ask for questions, but it's okay. We'll get there. Um, okay, so when we talk about creation, uh, we'll start with that verse, Genesis 1.1. God, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Um, there are a couple of, uh, I'm going to use some big words just kind of for fun. A way to think about this that I think is is helpful and will help frame it for you. So a couple philosophical terms, if you will. 
Uh, one is cosmology, and one is ontology. You can think about these things kind of together. Uh, cosmology, the word cosmos means universe, and the ology, the study of. So the study of the universe, What what is the um, physics and metaphysics, what's what is the universe? What's the nature of the universe? Ontology is the nature of being. So what does it mean for something to exist? Uh, both of these kind of philosophical categories play into what Luther- Lutherans and what uh, Bible-believing Christians think about creation. And whenever I say the word Lutheran, by the way, that's all I mean is Bible-believing Christian. Uh, that I don't really distinguish those two things. Um, of course, there are other Bible-believing Christians that are not Lutheran, but all Lutheranism boils down to is Bible-believing Christianity. So anyway, um, the study of what is the universe, the study of the what is existence, these are big questions. And everyone has an answer for these questions. Um, I don't distinguish between philosophy and religion because I think that they're essentially the same thing. I majored in philosophy. I have a degree in philosophy. But um, at the end of the day, both philosophy and religion, all they're trying to do is answer the big questions. What is existence? Why are we here? What's wrong with humans? How are we going to fix ourselves? Can we fix ourselves? Is there a God? Philosophy and theology are both trying to answer all these questions. When we're thinking about these big questions, there's really only a couple answers that people come up with. And I want to play a little bit of a game with you. Um, I'm going to write uh, a number of words on the board. And I want you in your head to organize them into two camps. Um, I I want you, I'm gonna write it like maybe six words or so on the board. I want you to organize them into two camps and then you're gonna let me know what you come up with, okay? So let me, I uh, decided what I was gonna write. That way I didn't have to think about it here, okay? So I'm just gonna write them kind of randomly here. What all did I come up with here? So we got, uh, so far we got, what did I put up there? Um, So let me circle these things off so that we know where we're at. Land, angels, God, humans, magic, um, money, not magic money, just magic and money. Mm -hmm. Um, Sometimes money seems to be magic, especially if you have it invested in the stock market and you don't exactly know what's going on with it. One, two, three. Yeah, we'll do that. Okay, so just uh, in your head, kind of divide those into two camps. Whenever someone wants to tell me what are the two things that they have them divided into, uh, let me know. Who's brave? Yeah, go ahead. Okay, magic and money together and everything else under creation. Interesting. Okay, anyone else? 
You don't have to worry about these terms. We'll, we'll come back to that. So, Jake? Okay, interesting. Interesting. Good. Anyone else? Do some of them fit in both? <laughs> no, just two camps. You gotta you gotta divide it. Yeah. <laughs> two. Some in both. Okay. None in both. Anyone else? So those are both interesting. I kinda like beings and non beings. Uh that's that's interesting. And um, yeah, I can also see magic and money kind of being um, these uh, things that are, yeah, I, I can, I, I, it's hard to describe, but I can see where you're coming from, Ashley. So um, what most people do normally, I've played this game many times, um, what most people do, and you guys are too clever for this, but is uh, divided up into basically um, spiritual and physical, right? So how would you do that if you were to divide it up into spiritual and physical? Right, yeah, that's what most people naturally do. Um, here is how I think Christians should divide this up um, and how the Bible does divide this up. The Bible divides it up like this. There's God and there's everything else. There's God and there's everything else. That's the biblical cosmology or biblical ontology. There is God, and what's the, what's the distinction with that? There's creation and there's what? The creator. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He created everything. He is distinct from everything, and he is the only being that is distinct from everything. So that is what God's holiness is, right? So if we think about holiness, God is holy. God is set apart. What's he set apart from? His creation. He's God. Everything else is not. And so when we think about this, um, you can think about this in a number of ways. So within God's creation, there are lots of categories we can categorize things, right? So we can categorize things as spiritual and physical within God's creation. Or uh, the, the creed does this, right? I believe in God, the Father, Almighty Maker of heaven and earth, and of all things visible and invisible. So we can make those distinctions within creation, but the first distinction we need to make is that first line of the creed, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. Maker of heaven and earth. And when we consider life this way, and we consider creation this way, this really does, I think, change our understanding of everything. Uh, so let's look at the catechism. And if you uh, look... If you have a paperback catechism, we're in the first article of the creed. If you have uh, the catechism in the LSB, it's on page 322 in the uh, second column. I believe in God, the Father, almighty maker of heaven and earth. What does this mean? This is what Luther says. 
I believe that God has made me in all creatures, that he has given me my body and soul, eyes, ears, and all my members, my reason and all my senses, and still takes care of them. He gives me clothing and shoes, food and drink, house and home, wife and children, land, animals, and all that I have. He richly and daily provides me with all that I need to support this body and life. He defends me against all danger and guards and protects me from all evil. All this he does only out of fatherly divine goodness and mercy without any merit or worthiness in me. For all this, it is my duty to thank and praise, serve and obey him. This is most certainly true. What Luther recognizes in listing out all of these things, body, soul, eyes, ears, all my members, reason, all my senses, clothing, shoes, food, drink, house, home, wife, children, land, animals, all that I have, provides me with all the support for this body and life, defends me, guards, protects me. What Luther recognizes when he lists out all these different things in creation is that absolutely everything in this life is a gift from God. Our body, our soul, everything that makes up who we are, plus everything that we have, the chairs we're sitting in, the building we're in, the friends we have, the family we have, the land we have, the food we have, everything is a gift. And it's a gift, notice um, this will play into where we go in the Ten Commandments in the future. It's a gift that we don't deserve without any merit or worthiness in me. Even in creation, God didn't need uh, to make us, but he made us out of love, right? He decided to make this heaven and earth, and he decided uh, to make man in his own image out of divine out of divine love, out of divine mercy. And so that's our starting point, right? And it has to be our starting point. Because when we get this right, then everything else will fall into place. If this is true, if God is the creator of the universe, and if he's the one who provides everything and sustains everything, and as we'll look at in Genesis 1 in just a moment, he's the one who designed everything to work in a certain way, then there's only one thing that we can do. Thank, praise, serve, and obey him. That's what Luther says. That's all that we can do. That's all that we, that's all we have to do is to thank and praise, serve and obey him. And this is, um, the reason I kind of play this game is because this is simply not the way that people tend to think. People uh, will think about, like I said often, the spiritual and the physical, like I have my spiritual life over here, but then I have my physical life where I go to work and I do, I eat my food and I play my games over here, right? I have my church life over here, my, my physical life over here. The, the um, other big thing I think that you can see that people naturally don't think this way, um, especially in our society where we live, is this idea of uh, people being self-made, right? Have you ever heard this? I'm a self-made man. Um, that people tend to assume about themselves that they're the ones who have designed their life. They're the ones who chose their the career. They're the ones who uh, made the decisions they made. They're the ones who decided who they were going to marry and not marry, uh, so on and so forth. And there's some truth in that. God does give us freedom in our lives uh, to make certain decisions. But at the end of the day, we're not self-made. 
We're God-made. And if we're God-made, then that means we're going to order our whole life according to how he would have us order it. And so when we get to um, the Bible, we're going to see that it's his word that he's given us. And the reason that word is powerful and the reason that word is authoritative in our lives is because it's his word and he's the creator. He's the one who designed everything. He's the one who sustains everything. He's the one who gives us everything that we need. If it was someone else's word, it wouldn't matter, right? But it's his word. It's the creator's word. When we get to the Ten Commandments, within that word, we're going to see a summary of his will for our lives, and that's going to guide us in how to live, and so on and so forth throughout the rest of the catechism. What we believe has its foundation in this, that God is the creator and that we are the creation, and we order our lives according to his design. Um, I... I had a professor in seminary who always said um, all theology is Christology, uh, basically saying that Jesus is central to the Christian faith, which is absolutely true. And different people have always kind of ripped off of, of that since that saying that he would always say became kind of famous in Lutheran circles. Um, there was another professor that started saying all theology is doxology and another professor that started saying all theology is eschatology. Anyway, so I made my own. I think all theology is stewardship. Um, and I don't mean that because I care a lot about like church finances. But I think all theology is stewardship because when we think about what it means to thank, praise, serve, and obey God as his creation to our creator, really what we are is stewards, right? He gives us all of these things. He gives us our bodies. He gives us our souls. He gives us the chairs we sit in. He gives us everything, all of creation. And what we're called to do is be stewards of those gifts. That's our entire life. And uh, so in, in that sense, I think all theology is, is stewardship. Okay. Any questions on any of that? Yeah, Rod, go ahead. So, um, so I'm 100% on board with you. God created everything. But where do you say evil came from? He has to protect us from evil. Yeah, where did evil come from? So, uh, good question. When God created the world, he created uh, angels and he created humans. And he created uh, both angels and humans with free will. With, uh, in, so in his own, when he created humans in his own image... Um, he created them with bodies and souls, and those hearts, those souls, he created to be able to, and, and those minds and those bodies, he created to be able to make their own decisions, to have, they have freedom. So Adam and Eve in the garden had freedom, and also the angels um, have a free will in a sense. As we learned in Revelation, that one of the angels uh, fell at, from, from heaven and fell into sin and became Satan. And Satan came in the garden and tempted Adam and Eve, and in their free will, they fell into sin. Um, and so evil is has its origin not in God, but in the will of man that 
is the corruption of sin. So uh, the this is, I mean this is a important distinction and it is one of those kind of paradoxes in Scripture that God did not create evil, He did not cause evil, He did create the people with the ability to become evil. And why he did that is the big question, right? And I think there's a couple semi-satisfactory answers, but there's never one satisfactory answer. The semi-satisfactory answer is that God loved us so much and he created us out of, like I said earlier, out of divine love and out of divine mercy. Um, He created us, he wanted us to have freedom. He didn't want us to be robots, right? And because we're made in his image, we weren't created as robots. We were created as um, humans with souls uh, that can experience life to its its fullest. Um, and part of that is freedom, but that also included the freedom to sin. And uh, the unsatisfactory answer is we can never know entirely why God allowed that to happen, right? Because God is God and we're not. So does that make sense? Well, like you said, I mean, it's, 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 it's kind of a mystery. Right. It's the same. How can a holy God, if, if, you, if you believe that he is completely in control of everything, mm-hmm. and yet there's evil, it's part of his plan somewhere, but how can we understand right. the workings of the... Yeah, his thoughts are higher than our thoughts and his ways are better than our ways. And um, he is working it all together for good. Um, and in, in the last day, uh, I mean, ultimately it drives us to the cross. We see that he provides a solution for this sin, for this evil uh, in his son. Um, and furthermore, at the last day, he's preparing a new heavens and new earth, a new creation that's going to be even better than the first creation. And there will be no more sin and no more suffering and no more evil, um, where we will have will have freedom of will, but no one will fall this time. Um, and yeah, there is no satisfactory answer as to why uh, he allowed that to happen throughout the course of history and allows the evil to happen throughout the course of history. But one thing one thing I will point out is that so so we're kind of ending up in the discussion of the problem of evil. And uh, when it comes to kind of apologetics and to to talking about this with non-Christians, especially, you know, one, this is something that people will point out about Christianity as well. If God's so good and if God is all-knowing and if God is all-powerful, then why does he allow bad things to happen? And um, I always say, yeah, I mean, that's a, that is a problem that Christians have to deal with, the problem of evil. That's a problem that we have to deal with. We have to accept the fact that that is a hard thing to understand and that we can't fully understand it or comprehend it. But what do you have in life if you don't have God as creator and everything else as creation and you have evil in the world? Well, take whatever the most horrific evil you can think of is, so some kind of mass murder or something, um, some kind of you know wicked serial killer or something like that. If God is not the creator, 
if God has not said what is right and wrong, then what makes what the serial killer does evil? Where does, where does that morality come from? And, you know, people have different answers to this. A lot of people say, oh, well, people, people just generally agree on morality. Like in most, in most cultures throughout most of history, um, murder and rape is, is wrong. But by what standard? Where does that standard come from? And just because most people agree on it, that serial killer doesn't agree on it. And other cultures haven't agreed on all of that. And there's been lots of cultures that have institutionalized, you know, rape and incest in their cultures. Um, so by, you know, this question, by what standard, um, is an important question. My standard is the God, the creator of the universe. But, and yes, that means that, that I have a problem of evil to deal with, but everyone else has a problem of evil to deal with, with absolutely no standard. They have a problem of evil things not actually being evil. <laughs> and you can say that's circular reasoning, which is true, um, but I think everything is circular reasoning. I, I mean, I think there, you can't actually escape circular reasoning at the end of the day, that uh, there, there is a leap of faith that's required and uh, to say, oh, well, we can, we can, well, we can be, uh, we can reason about these things. Well, where does our reason come from? My reason comes from the fact that God ordered the creation in a certain way to make it logical. But if you don't have if you don't have God, you don't have any order in creation. I mean, if 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 Darwinism is true, if we're, if we're just all a bunch of random cells, you know, floating around and colliding in space, why does it matter if serial killers rape and murder? Why does it matter? Uh, you know, what makes my what makes your reason better than my reason, right? So. Um, I think everything comes back to circular reasoning, but this is this is the foundation, is that uh, for the Christian, uh, everything does hold together in God as 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 Creator. So, does that make sense? Yes, Jake. Yeah. If there were, if we were completely incapable of doing evil acts, how would we know what's good? How would, how would we know what is? Yeah. No, that's great. Uh, that's a paraphrase. I don't know if you've read a lot of C.S. Lewis, but that's that's an argument out of Lewis's *Mere Christianity*, uh, and that's great. So, just in case you didn't hear, and I'll say it again for the recording as well, that there's evil in the universe. Um, we God allows one of the reasons that. It's kind of the semi-satisfactory answer for evil in the universe is that um, analogous to light and dark, by evil we can also see what's good, and by darkness we can see what light is, right? And God has light and darkness in his universe. He also has uh, evil in his universe, that's, and that's, that's very important to recognize. Um, and that, again, brings us back to this idea of, okay, well, how do we know what's good and evil? Well, there is a God who gave us that standard. And uh, that's the God who created the, the heavens and the earth. And so uh, that's who we must rely on.
Um, what time is it? I just seeing some cars pull up. So okay, we got plenty of time. What time do we normally end? 3:45. Yeah. Okay. All right. So let's open up then to uh, any other questions or comments on any of this so far. We'll open up to Genesis one. And um, there's just a couple things I want to put out, point out as we kind of think about creation. So try and tie in a lot of Bible with what we talk about, even though we are doing a more topical Bible study. Um, I like to to bring it back to the to the scriptures. Um, I like these old RSVs. This is this is pretty nice. Um, all right. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So just one quick thing to note here is that when the Bible uses the term heavens or heaven, um, it's not the popular American notion of heaven. Um, The popular American notion of heaven is really what often or what is described in the end of Revelation as the new Jerusalem, right? Streets of gold, pearly gates, so on and so forth. That's what people think of when they think of heaven. Um, the word heavens in, in Hebrew literally means like skies. So as as you'll see in the creation narrative, right, there's uh, the, the, the earth and then there's the, the firmament and then the things, the heavens are what's outside of the firmament. The heavens are the, the skies, the heavens, the, the everything else in the universe, right? So um, now the Bible does, the Old Testament does speak in terms of, um, kind of cosmologically, uh, universe language, that God dwells in the heavens, right? Um, and then it kind of will contrast that with like going down into the pit, uh, Sheol, which people often call hell. But we'll cover this when we get to the third article of the Creed. But um, people are always kind of surprised when I say, well, when you when you die, you don't go to heaven right away. You, your soul is in paradise with Christ. That's basically all the Bible says. You will be in the new heavens and the new earth. You'll be in the recreation, the new creation um, with the city, the new Jerusalem, the pearly gates and all that when Jesus comes back again and he raises your body from the dead, right? But when you die on this earth, your soul is separated from your body and your soul goes to be in paradise with Christ and then on the last day, your body will be raised again from the grave and reunited with your soul, and you'll be in the new heavens and the new earth, the new creation. Um, now, with that said, I'm completely fine when people say I'm going to heaven when I die because I know what they mean. They, they mean they're going to go be with Christ, and that's great. That's, you know, that's all good. But technically, the word heaven uh, doesn't mean um, the new Jerusalem. Uh, so there's some kind of biblical confusion language there that kind of popular notions of what's in movies and uh, what's in popular selling books at Christian bookstores uh, has has taught us the word heaven means. But anyway, um, but the, the reason I point that out is because when we read Genesis 1-1, that's important, that God created the heavens and the earth. In, in other words, what he's, what is being confessed is that God created the whole universe. He created everything, right? He created the earth and he created the heavens, right? He created the entire thing. Um, so 
just uh, in case that was of any confusion there. Any questions on that? Does that make sense? Okay. All right. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was moving over the face of the waters. So the next thing that we're going to cover next week is the Trinity. Who is God? Right? So we're talking about, first of all, we're doing creator creation. Then we're going to define that creator according to his word. There's already a hint here, and, and actually more than a hint. The Trinity is visible here in the first two verses of the Bible. Um, so sometimes people say, oh, the word Trinity is not in the Bible. I'm like, yeah, sure, the word Trinity is not in the Bible, but the doctrine of the Trinity is in the first two verses. So um, it seems pretty obvious to me. Okay, so first of all, we got um, God, which oftentimes in the Bible, the word God G-O-D is shorthand for the father of the Trinity. Okay, so we got in the beginning, God, the father created the heavens and the earth. Uh, The earth was without form of void and the uh, spirit of God was moving over the face of the water. So we have the father and we have the spirit. Okay, it's three verses. And God said, let there be light. Okay, now we have to go into the New Testament to figure out where Jesus is. But it does become pretty obvious if you look at John 1.1. 1, 1. Um, anyone know John 1.1 1, 1 off the top of their head? It begins the exact same way as Genesis. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And the Word was God. And then in John 1.14, it's going to become obvious who this Word is. So John 1 um, and 1.14. So 1-1, one, one, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then John 1:14, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, full of grace and truth, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son of the Father. So we got Jesus, the Son of God, and he is the Word that was in the beginning with God. And then we go back to Genesis, and how does God create? What's the mechanism by which God creates? He speaks, right? He speaks. And so the word that he speaks, that is Jesus. Sorry, I'm just pulling up another Bible verse here. That that word is, is Jesus. So within the first three verses of Genesis, you have the Father who is there creating the heavens and the earth. And he, the spirit is hovering over the face of the waters and he is speaking creation. And we find out in John 1 that that word through which God speaks to create is Jesus Christ, the son of God. Um, I just thought of this verse off the top of my head. I was going to read it. I got to find it. It's in Colossians 1, pretty sure. Um that all things were created through him. Uh, anyway, so the point is that you have the Trinity right there in the first uh, three verses of the Bible that uh, the entire Trinity, God, the, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is involved in this act of creation. Um, you're going to see like this is a theme that's going to continue throughout scripture as well. So like when you get to Jesus' baptism, uh, what happens? 
God the Father is speaking from above. The Spirit is hovering over the waters as a dove. And uh, Jesus is there manifest in uh, the, the word of God and in, and in the water at his baptism. So um, the Trinity is, well, we'll, get, we'll talk about it more next week. That's the main thing we're going to talk about next week. But uh, one thing to note about just this creator and creation and in Genesis 1 when we're thinking about creation is that this creator is obviously the, the Trini, tri, Trinitarian God. Right, um, and this this is important because one thing that we believe is that the Old Testament is our book. This, we'll talk about this when we talk about the Word of God. Um, the Old Testament's not a Jewish book, and then the New Testament's a Christian book. Um, the Old Testament's not this unknown God, and then the New Testament talks about the Trinity. The Old Testament and the New Testament go together. They're both Christian scripture. And it's the same God working through both. The things that change in the New Testament from the Old Testament have to do with like how the law is carried out, but they don't have to do with having a different God or a different religion, right? So um, this is important to realize because like we've already established, this understanding of in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, that's fundamental to everything that we believe. Right, so it's important to note that that Creator is the Trinity, is the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Yeah, so, Rod. And I don't mean to be nitpicky, so I'll take it like I'm just kind of. No, yeah, go. So he, 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 in the beginning, God didn't speak to heaven and earth, but then in, in verse three, then he starts speaking things. Is there? Yeah. So there? the thing to note is that Genesis one is poetry. Um, and he, the time, it's not a, um, it's not a linear timeline, uh, in the sense that there's one verse and then the next verse is something that happened directly after that is something that happened directly after that. So you can see this in a broader way in the, in Genesis one and two, that Genesis one is the overarching poem of creation. And then in Genesis 2, that is detailed, it's a detailed version of what happens on the sixth day of creation. So Genesis 2 details the creation of man. When you read Genesis 1, the creation of man is complete on the sixth day. So um, in Genesis 1, um, starting in, in 26, uh, let us make man in our own image, after our own likeness, have dominion over the fish and the cattle, so on and so forth. God created, so 27, God created man in his own image, in the image of God he created men, male and female, he created them, and God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful, multiply, so on and so forth. Verse 29, um, and God said, behold, I've given you every plant for food, and uh, so on and so forth until, um, I apologize, I keep ripping your nice Bible, um, I will purchase it from you. Um, I'm a collector of Bibles. It's okay. In uh, verse 31, and there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. So the sixth day is over. And then in 2 verse 1, you get the Sabbath day of rest. And then in the rest of chapter 2, um, you get the creation of man. But the creation of man already happened in Genesis 1, right? So 
Genesis 1 is the overarching narrative of creation, and then Genesis 2 is a zooming in on the sixth day. In the same way, to get back to your question, um, verse 1 uh, is kind of the subtitle or the title of the poem, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Okay, now here's how that happened. And then it starts um, the uh, in verse 2. The earth was without form and void. And then uh, verse 3, he starts creating. Right? So um, the verse 1 is not like he created something and then he starts um, creating more things in verse 3. Verse, verse 1, I think, is the kind of title of this poem of Genesis 1, that this is this is the story of the creation of the heavens and the earth, and then we actually get how that happens. Does that make sense? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we can talk about it more if you want. Yeah, think about it more. Um, that, that's completely fine. Um, so yeah, it's not like a. Um, it, it's just not a necessarily like a uh, like a linear historical thing. So, um, it, I mean, it is historical, and it is it does go in a certain order, but the genre of the writing is more or less poetry. So that that's actually good because that kind of gets to what um, I want to talk about next. I got to keep an eye on the time. I forgot to wear a watch today. Oh, it's 3.45. Okay. Well, I wanted to talk about order and creation, so we'll pick that up next week. Any final questions or comments? I mean, I can keep going for two minutes if you want. Just just yeah, go ahead. What's, what's the what's the context of this whole what we believe? Yeah, so. Vision, so we're not asking questions that you're going to answer in two weeks. Oh, sure, sure. Yeah, I can print print it out. Um, I have done. A, um, I have yet to in my two and a half years as a pastor, I have yet to actually do a teenage confirmation, which I would really like to do one day. But um, I've done a lot of adult catechesis, and I've kind of structured a. Uh, syllabus for that, which is what I'm using for this, since this is also operating as a new membership class or a new member class. And um, yeah, so I have an order I'm going in. Uh, it starts with creation. Then the next couple things we're going to do are going to be the Trinity, who is God, um, and also the two natures in Christ, uh, which comes in the first and second articles of the Creed, the, both those things. And then we're going to kind of shift our way over to the Ten Commandments section of the uh, of the Catechism, and the first thing we're going to do is talk about the Bible in general, like what is the Bible, how do we interpret the Bible, that kind of thing. Um, and then we'll jump into the Ten Commandments, and then we'll go back into the Creed and talk about justification and then sanctification, and then after that we get into like the means of grace. So, um, but I have a list; I can print it out. Just in case you wanted, like, right away. Uh, but I... Yeah. Yeah, I'll print out, I'll print out the uh, outline, and I'll bring it next week. If I remember, I'll, I'll write it down somewhere.
Here, I'll write it down on this sheet of paper. Bring out. Yeah, that's right. All right. Um, any other questions, comments, concerns, quandaries? All right. Well, then let's uh, close with a word of prayer and we'll get ready for church. Dear Heavenly Father, you are the creator of the heavens and the earth, and we praise and magnify you for your love in creating us and everything that you have given us. Help us to be good stewards of your creation and of our lives, that we may thank, praise, and serve you in everything that we do and think and say. We pray that you would bless our worship today together. Let it be in spirit and in truth that the hearts and minds of the believers would be open and that your word would go forth and produce that for which you send it. We pray all of this through your son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God now and forever. Amen.